Hello and welcome to Bridges Podcast. I'm Erin Shaw and I am here with life transitions expert, author, speaker, and media host, and also my wonderful mother, Paula Shaw. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Hey, Annie. (laughs) And I'm delighted to be here with my beautiful daughter, who is also a writer, musician, and entrepreneur. Well, thank you. Thank Mm. you. So what are we going to talk about today, Erin? Well, today I am calling our show Highway to the Danger Zone. And maybe we should tell everybody a little bit about why are we doing this podcast anyway? Why are we doing this podcast? (laughs) Well... Uh, I am doing this podcast <laughs> to hang out with you and also, oh, thank you. you're welcome. Well, I think we've had a lot of really cool cross-generational conversations of varying topics mm-hmm. and my feeling was that we thought maybe we could do some good in the world by uh, helping people bridge some gaps that might be uh, generational or gender-based or race-based or whatever they might be, just uh, to bring people together yeah. about things that are trending. At least that's my goal. Exactly. And mine as well. Oh, good. And well, I'm glad also, we're on the same page yeah, now that we're doing this It's probably show. a good idea so we don't have to fight on air. <laughs> <laughs> Although that might be entertaining for people. And I, I think what, one of the things that kind of tickled me about this idea is that this actually is standard procedure for you and I pretty much on a daily basis. It is. So we thought, let's put a mic out there and record it and see what happens. Exactly. And and so far, our feedback has been so positive. Thank you, everybody who's been listening uh, and following us on social media and subscribing to us on SoundCloud. We really appreciate all the love and, and some great, awesome uh, feedback and ideas for topics. And cool. Yeah, it's just been really great and groovy. So uh, be- coming, looping back to what the topic is for today, mm-hmm. uh, we're calling it Highway to the Danger Zone. What is the danger zone? It's the opposite of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And today's topic is about fear, anxiety, and courage. So I think it would be most appropriate, Erin, if you're comfortable doing so, would you share a little bit with everybody about your own experience with anxiety? Let's just throw me right into the deep end. (laughs) We've literally been on for two and a half minutes. Well, look what a good swimmer you turned out to be when we did that to you as a child. This is true. No, I had lessons. Thank you to the YMCA of La Crescenta, I think it was. And I was there every step of the way. I didn't just throw you in. Just chuck me in there. Um. Yeah. Oh, so last week we talked, or a week before last, we talked about um, how much I wanted to talk about myself. And it's, some people might think that's rare for me because I tend to be a pretty talkative person and I can be pretty self-involved sometimes. <laughs> I'm working on that. And uh, and one of the reasons that I, I kind of shied away from that in recent episodes was I didn't want it to be the me hour or the us hour so much as we we want to contribute and serve a purpose that we hope will mm-hmm. touch lives and help people. But I am willing to talk a little about myself today for today's topic because I have some pretty extensive firsthand experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we can, I'll just jump right in there. 
Um, <laughs> I started dealing with anxiety in college. I was a junior at Chapman University, and it was actually my fourth year of school because I had a gap year uh, where I went to community college in between transferring from San Francisco State to Chapman University in Orange County. And so I actually did five years of undergrad. <laughs> So when I graduated, I was like, master's degree? Forget that. I am done. <laughs> but um, yeah, my, my third, no, my second year at Chapman, I started having anxiety. And I didn't really know at the time where it was coming from. I found out later that not only was it from being overloaded and not eating very healthily or resting enough, um, but also I was intaking a lot intaking, I was consuming a lot of mm -hmm. caffeine. So my caffeine intake was very mm. high. And apparently some people are prone to uh, caffeine inducing anxiety. And that was the case for me. So I am uh, now a, a decaf coffee person. a girl. And uh, I will occasionally indulge in a little bit of it at desperate times. But <laughs> anyway, I, I started having anxiety attacks on uh, a choir tour with my college choir. And the very first time I had a panic attack, I was on stage and I had never been a nervous performer ever. I've been performing as long as I've been alive, pretty much just busted out of the womb and song. <laughs> and, That's true. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really know what was happening. I had had one panic attack in high school, uh, but this felt completely different. I thought I was dying. Uh, I, I didn't really know what was going on. It was very scary. I ran off the stage and uh, for the rest of that tour, I was very nervous to be on stage because it, it was triggering what I had been through. So uh, subsequently after that, we came back from this tour and anytime, actually like short of breath talking about it, anytime mm. I would get up to perform, I had this fear in the back of my mind that I was going to have a panic attack on stage. Mm. And so subsequently, I said subsequently already, but after that, mm -hmm. uh, after I graduated, and gave my senior voice recital while clutching the piano for safety. And you did beautifully, though. Thank you. I kind of blacked out for most of it, but I watched the DVD later and it seemed okay. Whoever was there sang beautifully. Yeah, whoever that was, wasn't me. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved to New York and uh, I thought I had kind of, I thought I could escape the anxiety by moving away and being done with school. Mm -hmm. I thought it was related to school. So I thought, okay, I'm getting out of here. Going to New York City, I've been wanting to be here for years. I'm psyched. I'm, you know, going to be an actress on Broadway. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I got there, and I realized scariest city in the world. Yeah, I wasn't intimidated though. And but you forgot the old saying: "Wherever you go, there you are." Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So my anxiety monster was right there with me, and um, it got a little bit worse uh, being far away from home and struggling to get work. And then a few, um, about a month and a half later, my dad passed away, and that kind of added to the load of things I was dealing with emotionally. And on top of that, it was the recession, and there was just not a lot of work available for people in the theater community. And I kind of was sorry, grandma, but up shit creek without a paddle. <laughs> and um, it took many years for me to get my anxiety under control. Part of that was my wonderful mother here who helped me and has a lot of fabulous tools for dealing with those sorts of things. But also just kind of processing my emotions, talking, 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 talking about them. Um, I, I conquered them. But one of the things that I felt was really available to me was society permitted me to express myself mm -hmm. as a woman. Mm -hmm. I was very much, uh, it was very okay for me to talk about all of this. And so one of the things we wanted to touch on today, which we're going to get to a little bit later, is how men don't always have that same permission to cope and deal with their feelings as I did. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, but we, we, 
you know, nobody in my life knew I was dealing with this. I sort I started, I kind of never auditioned. I sort of just started writing and I started a business and I just sort of told everyone in my life, oh, you know, I don't really want to perform anymore. Like, I love music. I don't want it to become work. Like, I'm just going to, I'm a writer now. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I kind of like came clean to everybody and was like, yeah, that was just totally me like spiraling out of fear. Yeah, you were convincing. I mean, I am bought <laughs> like, into was a it. good actress. <laughs> I should have done it. I should have gone for <laughs> That's it. That's it. Your performance was excellent. <laughs> I believed it. And even though I always thought I would be one day sitting in the front row of a Broadway theater and watching my daughter on oh, opening Aethra night. Center is a better place to be. <laughs> I, I just figured, well, you know, it's not my life. It's her life. If she's choosing that she doesn't want to be in the limelight and she wants a normal life, as you used to say all the time, right? then I'm not going to stand in her way. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea that it was that acute that, you know, you were feeling anxious on the subways and didn't want to audition yeah. and all the things that you've since revealed. Right. And... You know what I find interesting, not to turn this into a session for you. No, yeah, please don't. I remember your very first attack in high school came after the death of a dear friend of yours, a right. guy mm-hmm. who, you know, you had really cherished. Had the feels for him. Yeah. Yeah. And and then your anxiety worsened after the death of your father. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I see where you're going with that. I think part of that, but it was also pretty bad in college, and I was in a pretty mm. stable relationship at yeah. that time. So I don't, uh, maybe part of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think anxiety is one of those things that for some people like me, who I was an anxious child too, it just, it kind of exists in you, and then certain things in life just worsen it, and then right. it kind of bubbles to the surface. And we, we were talking earlier, and we're going to discuss this today, about when you don't deal with your fears and anxieties in a healthy way and you push them down, they're always there festering below the surface just waiting to bubble up and explode. And so and that's think, what happened. I think that a lot of people who are prone to anxiety are people who are very comfortable with control. And as we know, you're much more comfortable when you have a sense of control. That's why I love going on vacation with you because <laughs> you plan every moment and I don't have to do a thing. Right. That's true. But, and I'm also a visual thinker. And I think mm-hmm. creative people tend to be uh, more nervous. I, most of my friends who are afraid of flying are actors, mm. you know, or musicians, people who are sensitive. They're not the like mathematician, scientist, financial guy type people. It's the creative thinkers who kind of see and feel things to the end, even if they're not what you're actually experiencing. So for people like me and those people who are creative visual thinkers, your anxieties feel real because you can see the, the mm. movie in your mind, so to speak, of what it is. And then you feel that on a very deep level. And so. Here's an interesting note that just occurs to me as you're saying that. The anxiety stems more from the right side of the brain, which is feeling-oriented. Left side of the brain is logical. Right. So creative people are m- people who are much more comfortable in the right side of their brain and spend a lot more time there. Mm-hmm. So it makes it's interesting, an interesting... Um, Not comparison, but an interesting fact that Mm -hmm. what you're saying, creative people tend to be more anxious, makes total sense when you think about it. Sure. They're in that right side of the brain. That's how they make their performances real, their their feelings projected through whether it's song or acting or dance or whatever. Right. Well, and here's an interesting thing. So I want to just give a a brief disclaimer because we are going to talk a little bit about 
some gender role type stuff today. Mm -hmm. And I'm very sensitive about being sensitive to that. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about some broad generalizations about men and women today, but we just want to say that we understand that you can't really box every man or woman into this category, these categories we're going to talk about. But Mm -hmm. from our own experiences, life experiences, your experience with clients, my independent research on certain of these topics, we found a lot of commonalities. So we feel like it's fair to sort of discuss them in terms of the male experience and the female experience. And we do have some some other stuff, um, things we're going to cite today to kind of back us up. But, um, you know, one of the things I was saying is I feel that these experiences I've had throughout my life of conquering anxiety, losing my father, having, you know, various relationships end and kind of dealing with all of those things and several of which kind of broadsided me, you know, two weeks ago we talked about ruin being the road to transformation. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, all of these things I went through have really only um, strengthened me. It's it's like, you know, baptism through fire, I think I talked yeah. about the last time, that it's just been, it's reinforced me, like almost like throwing a piece of pottery into, a you know, a kiln. But why do you think your outcome was that and other people have a negative outcome where they become chronically depressed or have a real anxiety problem. Right. I don't know. I think some people are very fortified by their pain, and I think some people tend to become kind of more recluse and mm-hmm. and crumble a little bit under it. And it's not always male and female split, but I know more women who have been through hardships that as we get older become more strong mm-hmm. and, and really step into their power. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of men who have been through a lot of hardships and, you know, get older and continue to experience them that then become very reclusive and and kind of fear-based and, and hide and, and things like that. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about it and ask your professional opinion. Why do you think that is? That, you know, women could experience five really terrible heartbreaks and the fifth one maybe catapults them into like writing a killer memoir. Right. And maybe a man would have four terrible heartbreaks and the fifth one catapults him into... Becoming a drinking on the mountain. (laughs) I know that's kind of sounds mean to say. We're not man haters by any means. We love men. I actually, my heart is. I have a heart for men because I think the reason that happens is pretty pretty clear, and that's because our culture Mm -hmm. gives us permission to process verbally. Us as women to yep hang out with the girls, talk about how we feel, and that's a very healing experience for Mm -hmm. women. You know, and we 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 get good at it. That's why women are so good in sales because they're natural communicators. Mm-hmm. It's how we heal ourselves. Sure. But what do we say to men? Be Toughen strong. Up. Stiff Dip upper, upper lip. lip. <laughs> <Jinx>. <laughs> Sack up. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. Get get up there and get back out and play. Right. Yeah, right. And so, which is not fair to men. I feel for all. them too because. I, you know, I, I, being in the creative world, I have encountered many men that are very sensitive and kind and gentle, and it's hard for them to Mm -hmm. exist in a world where maybe if they express that part of them, they're, someone will call them like gay when that was an insult, you know, or 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 a wimp or a pussy or or whatever it is. It's, and it's not fair for Mm -hmm. when a man wants to emote and discuss his feelings or even just connect with someone else in an honest way Mm -hmm. that society, and it is, it is changing and it's getting better. But society in general was like faulting them for that. That's so messed up. When I was young, that was a huge deal. Yeah. There was no expression of tears and all that. You know, if you cried, you weren't a man. 
Oh. You know, if you said you were scared, so what happens to men? When they're scared or when they want to cry and they keep pushing it down, it becomes like a pressure cooker, simmering and simmering and simmering, except the, the little flap is not up so that the steam can be released. Right. And so it just keeps building and building and building until there's an explosion. Yeah. And, and now, being angry is acceptable for men. Right. Even being a little violent. Violent is acceptable for men, but right. not tears, not scared. Which is so strange to me because I find that in the human experience, you would think that crying is so much more of a natural reaction than being so rageful that you resort to violence. Right. Like, everyone experiences anger and violence, but it takes a pretty serious removal of empathy to actually hit somebody. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, how many people, male and female, across ages and generations, cry without even meaning to cry. It's very hard to stop yourself from crying when you are really hurt or ashamed or embarrassed. Like, really, like, it is, you know, it's one thing if you're, like, in a movie and it's like, oh, I don't want the person next to me to see me crying. But if somebody really makes you feel terrible or shames you in a way that is shocking, Mm -hmm. those tears just come, and it's very hard to fight them back. Yeah, absolutely. I think much easier to cry than to become violent. At least, I don't know, that's my experience. I could be off No, on I think that's really true. But men who especially, you know, grew up at the time I was growing up, uh, and, you know, remember, even the movies then, it was John Wayne, it was stuff about the war. You always saw, you know, men being flip or funny mm-hmm. or having humor even in the face of terror. Right. And being strong and being able to go into action. Yeah, and so the the idea of being scared enough to cry or admit that fear mm-hmm. was very rare. Yeah, and by contrast, women who were comfortable being more in that kind of go-getter energy were then called butch or dykes or mm-hmm. bitches or, mm-hmm. you know, man-eaters, ball busters, whatever it is, which is so ridiculous because everybody has, you know, heart-centered kind of, the, I mean, people tend to associate like the feminine and the masculine. Again, I don't like pigeonholing things that way, but, you know, everybody has both sides of the coin. Everybody right. has their more heart-centered, gentle part of themselves, and everyone has that more go-getter, you know, energy to them so it's ridiculous that we would ever put one person in one bubble or box and not let people experience both you know in a harmonious way and that is the healthiest scenario when people can have balance between expressing the more feminine energies and the more masculine energies then they're the healthiest well you like to say feminine and masculine that's not my Favorite well, yeah. way, but it's not. Okay. I don't mean that in gender. I'm talking about feminine energy, which is nurturing, more concerned with um, the quality of relationships, with creating beauty. I mean, that's just a fact about feminine energy. Masculine energy is the go, do, make it happen energy. And mm-hmm. we all have both. Okay. Yin yang. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. want to take this to an interesting topic where we've both experienced a little bit of this and as have many of my single female friends which is men that uh go to the heart-centered place at the start of romantic relationships Mm. and then within maybe four five six weeks immediately pull away turn on a dime and disappear and it you know I've talked about this with several friends recently and I actually was listening to another podcast where they talked about this very topic and it mm-hmm. was so refreshing because for a long time I was like am I the only one who experiences this <laughs> and then I realized like oh no this is kind of an epidemic and and I so I got to thinking about it about men who kind of you know, bail out at the start of relationships where they seem to be like really psyched about it at the mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. and really captivated with this person. And then the, the fear creeps in or 
or whatever it is, or, or they lose interest in some way. I don't actually know. And I don't want to always say like, it's just because they're scared because I'm sure there are a fair amount of people who might date someone for a month or so and just be not feeling it. And they don't know how to express that because they don't want to hurt the person. Mm -hmm. So that's a different topic. But when it is based in fear, I sometimes wonder if, you know, you, you hear a lot of stories of women at the start of relationships when they're excited about a new uh, prospect for a partner and they're willing to, to be believers again, no matter how many times they've been hurt, you know, they, they're willing to believe this could be the one where Mm -hmm. I think a lot of men who have been hurt tend to be more cautious and they might be like really excited at the start. But then when the reality that they could lose this person who's becoming more valuable to them kicks Mm -hmm. in, that they might experience pain, that the prospect of feeling pain and heartbreak outshines all of the the positive, wonderful, beautiful things they're experiencing with this person, and then they wanna wanna walk away, wanna bail, wanna run yeah. away. Well, you know, the first thought that comes to me about that is let's take a look at what the neuroscience has taught us. Right and left brain functions are different. Hmm. Right brain function is more about relating, feeling. Um, you know, creating beauty, like we were talking about with your creative friends, that's Mm -hmm. much more right brain function. Mm -hmm. Left brain function is logic, um, projection, linear thinking, you know, future thinking, outcomes, that sort of thing. Uh Well, so it men are naturally more comfortable in the left brain. They actually have a bigger left brain than their right brain. Really? Yes. And women have an Wish I'd known this 10 years ago. physiological <laughs> bigger right brain. Okay. What's interesting about women... I wonder if that's the same for, for homosexual men and women. Oh, that's an interesting question. We don't know the answer, but I'm curious. To I don't know. Research shall be done. But what's interesting hey, <laughs> about the female brain, we have a larger corpus callosum, which is the central part that connects right and left brain. Wow. Sorry, so guys. <laughs> we're actually a little better at seeing the whole picture and being able to feel both sides. Uh-huh. Men tend to be more comfortable in that linear problem-solving kind of brain. So they may be a little bit more focused on the inevitable demise of a relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, or interesting. what could happen here. And if they have been hurt before, if they've been traumatized, they're going to be, that's going to be more upfront for them where the woman being in the right brain, the feeling brain Mm -hmm. is more likely to go, this feels good. I'll take a shot. Yeah. That's interesting. And you know, there's that whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus, John Gray perspective Mm -hmm. on things, which some of which I think is, is valuable. Other, I kind of roll my eyes at it. It's a little outdated, but, um, but it's so fascinating because one of the things I've noticed in my personal experience, and of course I won't name names or throw anyone under the bus, um, <laughs> is that when these kinds of moments occur, when when you can kind of tell, like, you know, women are always like, oh, he stopped texting me or he stopped calling. I know something's wrong. And then you have people be like, well, don't assume anything. And they're like, no, trust me, I know. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen it happen. Uh, when that moment of reckoning, so to speak, like when, you, you know, there's always like the trial period at the start of a relationship, right? Like, are we really going to do this? And then when you get yeah. to that, like, it's time to decide, are we going to be in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think is really fascinating is that men, in my experience, don't want to communicate. They just kind of want to, like the talking stops. It's like they're just very much in... Uh, not in communication mode and women I think really want to like get to the bottom of it like well what's happening like what's going on let's talk about this let's Mm. are you afraid why are you afraid like can I assuage any of your fears like 
don't make me pay for the sins of your ex, you know, like all these things. Whereas I think a lot of men are like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, I just know this is, this is where I am and I'm just, you know, I'm done or I'm pulling away or I can't do this. You hear that all the time. I can't do this. But again, let's remember they aren't as practiced as we are at communicating because that's not so much what they do. I remember once a seminar I, I was at, they were saying like, Women will get together and say, hey, let's just get together and have a cup of coffee and chat. Mm -hmm. But men usually need a third purpose. Two men will get together to watch a game, Mm -hmm. to go on a bike ride, to go, you know, toss the ball around, right? Men need a reason (laughs) or something they're going to do. And then the communication may start. And I do think that's changing. Mm -hmm. I think men are talking more to each other now. Right. Because society is much more accepting of that. And thank God. Yeah. You know, because the, the way it was where men had to keep pushing down any feelings they had that weren't masculine and butch, Mm -hmm. uh, that has forced men to be in scenarios where they they have these explosions, and that's the kind of violence we're starting to see. Yes. Cropping up shocking violence like school shootings Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And I'm so glad you brought that up because there was a great op-ed in the New York Times the last couple weeks that was by Michael Ian Black, who's a comedian and actor, and it was called The Boys Are Not All Right, and he basically was talking about how school shootings are generally perpetuated by men and that mm. it's this idea that men don't have the permission in society to to express themselves or they don't know really what it means anymore to be masculine because for so long it was equated with violence and strength and now you have a lot of women who are coming into their strength collectively and being like screw that we're not dealing with your crap anymore mm-hmm. so a lot of men they don't know maybe where they fit in into this new kind of like pro-feminist world that we're seeing, which is is so overdue and so welcome. But I can understand when women are, are stepping into their strength and their power and men have always relied on their strength and their power to define their masculinity in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, where do I fit in now? And maybe yeah. that's what we're seeing. So what are what are your thoughts on that? You know, this epidemic of school shootings and mass shootings being, you know, it's it's men that are that are doing that are pulling the triggers, you know? Yeah. And, and for exactly the reasons we've been talking about, you know, like back to the pressure cooker, you know, if that there's no outlet for that steam as it builds, right. you know, those feelings, they're either going to explode or implode. Mm. And Neither of those seem good. No, you know, that's exactly right. If we can be releasing in small amounts along the way, then we can handle life stressors so much better. Yeah. So I think, you know, what's the, what's the prescription, Doc? Conversations like <laughs> this opening up awareness you know the men I work with I love it when a man comes into my practice because I have such a heart for them Mm -hmm. and I give them the opportunity to express their feelings without judgment without expectations of how they should be yeah and they it's like the dam breaks you Mm -hmm. know they're so relieved to finally have a chance Mm -hmm. to talk about what they feel without feeling judged without anybody saying well, buck up, I need you to be my rock. Mm-hmm. I need you to, you know, be my protector. Because it should be a mutual, in partnerships, it should be mutual. Like, I, I don't think any man should have to be the rock for one woman and never allow her to be his rock as well. Exactly. And I think men who are in healthy relationships with women that that they do feel comfortable communicating their feelings to are probably the healthiest men out there that, you know, they're part, and this could be homosexual, heterosexual across the board, what have you, but the men who feel that there's someone in their life they can talk to, whether it's a parent Mm -hmm. or um, a friend or their partner or a therapist, like whomever it is, I think it's having a support system and also just 
feeling comfortable embracing that part of themselves. Yeah. Because I really just, and you know what, and it's, it's not just other men that are like, he's a pussy. I mean, like, I've certainly had my share of moments of like, oh, why won't he just man up? And then mm-hmm. I kind of have to catch myself and be like, that's not yes. fair. Like, why should I force somebody else to, you know, deal with their pain at a lightning fast pace because it would benefit me more mm-hmm. greatly than to let somebody go through their process and deal with their pain in a productive way where they, you know, might end up being a better person at the end of, of that process. So it is women as well that, you know, we, we, we put Judge that on them, them too. Absolutely. Yeah. So often. And in, in a marriage, especially if there are children involved, so mm. often the women are just like, you've got to be strong. You've got to take care of us. Yeah. That's a huge responsibility. And then and those I kids think, are seeing that too. You know, we all need to remember that we all need a safe harbor mm-hmm. because it gets stormy out there on the seas of life. And just empathy and kindness. You know, one of the things I've really been fighting for this since the election last year is can we just all be kind, you know, I mean, and empathetic mm-hmm. to one another. There's so much ugliness in the world, so much judgment, so much bullshit. It's just so nice and refreshing when you see people. And this is where I really think millennials and younger generations shine because there's so much empathy there. There's so much kindness. There's so much positivity and belief. I mean, these Parkland mm-hmm. High kids that are, are creating these the March for Our Lives in light of yes. this shooting, that they have so much hope. And I've forgotten how you know, teenagers are such a powerful force. I remember being one. And now I feel like mm-hmm. in my 30s, I've become kind of sad and jaded. And, and some of that has come after this last election and having this horrible, ugly person in, in office, rep, trying, you know, who apparently represents me in the world as an American, which mm-hmm. I just, you know, that's a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. But I, I really do appreciate these younger voices, men and women who are so much more comfortable talking about with this. And I yes. think that's really where... Boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, like we really need to embrace younger generations. You know, maybe they're on their phones a little bit too much, <laughs> but they they have the balls and the courage to come out and say like, we're the future and this is the world we want to live in and we're not going to let you dictate to us who we get to be. And I just yeah. give them such huge they props. Are, they are the hope. There's mm-hmm. no two ways about it because they haven't had years of being stuck in a particular mindset like people in my generation. Yeah. And many people in my generation, their, their tagline is, I'm too old to change and I'm not going to. Right. Where, you know, young people still have They're still hope, curious. Still have curi- curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Still want to make the world a better place. And yeah. that's, God bless the youth. They've mm-hmm. always been the ones that yeah. lead us on. That's what one of the things I always admire about the the Olympics. And when the Olympics end, they, Aww, that call yeah. goes out to the youth of the world yeah. to gather again in four years and show us what it's like to be our best selves and to rise to the greatest heights humanity can rise to. Absolutely. Well, I think we've left it on a... We talked about some dark stuff today, but we're leaving it on a positive note, I think. Yes, and we're sending love to all the men out there. And, and all the kids out there that are scared. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really, yeah. uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll talk a little bit about guns and gun control, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. You know, I'm seeing a lot of hope and positivity and, and real change, and, and that's coming from these younger generations and their more loving hearts and open minds, and it's a beautiful thing. And they're going thing. into action. That's yeah. what's so beautiful. In my yeah, they're Balancing both sides of the brain. Right. When I was young, we were in action too. We were marching against the Vietnam War. Right. But now it's nice to see these kids are going, okay, you haven't taken good care of us, so we're on it. Yeah. We're not going to sit around and be killed. Yep. I love it. That's good stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We're having such a blast doing this. We yeah, hope you're yeah. enjoying listening to it. I mean, <laughs> even if you're not, we're going to keep doing it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're having so much fun. But if you are, you know, enjoying it, please connect with us on social media. I had a couple of good friends who started following us on Twitter the other day, and it made me so happy. So oh, thank yes. you to Jacob and Alex for that. That was really awesome. Um, but we're and on subscribe. Subscribe. So we're on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at podcast bridges. Um, you know, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud. You can hit that subscribe button uh, or you can go to our website, which is bridgespodcast.com to learn more about us. Uh, and there's a way to, excuse me, a way to contact us there. So if you have ideas for show topics yeah, you want to hear about, that. let us know. And uh, yeah, let's leave it. I guess we're leaving we it there. We look forward to seeing you again soon. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>